We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are looking at verses 13 through 16 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of those blue Bibles and locate it underneath a seat around you, and you can turn in that Bible to page 986, and that'll bring you to our text. So let me uh, up front give you a summary of this section, and then I'll read it, and then we'll jump into all the details of it. As we're, uh, and as you know, if you're new with us, we're just simply, every week we come back to a particular letter of the Bible, in my case, this one, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Thomas preaches every uh, fourth week, and he's in Colossians, and, and we just systematically make our way through um, that particular section of the scriptures, and we are now in chapter two, almost finished with chapter two. But here's the summary of the section that we're going to look at this morning. In this section, the Apostle Paul, again, as he did in the very first part of the letter, back in chapter 1 and verse 2, expresses thanks to God for the young church or the new believers that were there in Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica. So it's written to the Thessalonians, Christian believers there. And as we'll see in a moment, the reason for the thanks is related to the believer's reception of the gospel message that Paul and his co-workers proclaimed to them when they had visited Thessalonica for the purpose of preaching the gospel. Then flowing out of that, Paul goes on to call attention to the suffering the Thessalonian believers had endured for their newly founded faith and immediately follows that up with a passionate denunciation of the evil opposition that stood behind that suffering. And so that's where I basically got the title. We're basically looking at two different things, the Thessalonians' reception and also the opposition uh, that worked against the gospel. We'll be examining both of those. So, let's see what we can learn this morning from this part of God's precious and holy word. I'll go ahead and read all three verse, four verses, actually, and uh, beginning in verse 13. So, follow along if you would. And we, and so we there is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus is also known as Silas. And we, Paul's writing the letter on their behalf as well. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, and what was it that they heard from them? It was the gospel message, so he's equating the gospel message with the word of God. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath 
has come upon them at last. So first, we're going to look at the reception, the reception, how the word was received by the Thessalonians. Paul and his missionary team, as we just read, were grateful to God for how the gospel message they preached was received by the readers of this letter or uh, the believers in Thessalonica. So, how was it received? Well, Paul points out that they accepted the gospel message that was made known to them by Paul and his team, not as the word of men or as just a message or teaching invented or thought up by men, but rather for what it really is, the Word of God. Or to say it another way, they understood it and embraced it, this gospel message, as a message or word that originated with God, not with any human being. That is why Paul refers repeatedly to this gospel message as the gospel of God, the good news, the good message, the proclamation of God. He did that three times in this chapter already in verse 2, verse 8, and verse 9. And of course, being God's word then makes it of the highest value, this message, right? Of the highest value Because this is not just another message invented or thought up by humanity, but this is the message of the very creator and ruler of humanity. And so it raises the value as high as it possibly could be for this message, and it makes it by the fact that it is of that nature worthy of being heard and heeded, obeyed, listened to and followed, bringing oneself in subjection to it. And because these Thessalonians accepted it as God's word, because they embraced it for what it really is, these former pagans in Thessalonica, were willing to turn their back on their long-held pagan traditions and beliefs and embrace that very gospel. And that's no small thing, beloved. No easy decision would that have been for them to have made. They grew up in, they lived in paganism. It was their way of life the worship of their gods, all false gods, but they believed them to be true until these ones in Thessalonica who believed heard that gospel message and recognized it and accepted it for what it was and realized there is only one true God and he has sent his son, the divine one, giving himself up for them that they might be made right with this one true God and forgiven of all their sins and they believed it and they embraced it and abandoned their old way of life. Not an easy decision, but an understandable decision in light of the fact that they saw the gospel for what it is. The very word or message of the one and only God, right? 
I mean, if that is how you understand it, if that's the way you receive it and embrace it, then all other messages bow. All other thoughts, all other philosophies must come under that one. Yes? Anything that stands in contradiction to that one must be put away. Because this message is the very word of God. And Paul is giving thanks that they had received it that way. One writer says, whatever men may say or think about it, the gospel, the message, this is its true nature. It is the word of God. And oh my, men say all kinds of things that are not true about the gospel. Yes? They say it's a fantasy. They say it's made up. They don't receive it like a believer receives it. They don't recognize it for what it truly is. They deny its reality. Therefore, they care nothing about it. They mock it. But as believers of Jesus Christ, we see it and have embraced it for what it really is. Another person says this, when Christians share their faith, that's us, listen, in light of what we just read, that the gospel is the word of God, They do not merely give their particular viewpoint in life as one among the endless variety of human theories. Rather, they announce the divinely revealed truth of God. Literally, a word from God. You realize that, brothers and sisters? When you share the gospel faithfully, You're not just sharing some other message, some philosophy of man. You are sharing the very word of God himself. Now, I mean, that should help you to be bold and courageous and confident in the process of sharing, not to back down in sharing it. It's not something you have to question. I mean, if it was just another philosophy of humanity, who knows? True, not true, I don't know. Something I should give my life to? I'm not so sure. But this message, the very word of God, totally changes the game. At least it should. Totally changes our perspective. At least it should. Totally changes our attitude about it and how we handle it. Or at least it should. It is the very word of God. But I want to stop here for a second and consider something. Something that will impact our worship of God, our sinful pride, and our evangelism. It was kind of already addressed a little bit here this morning in the Scripture reading. So let me ask you a question in doing that. Who did Paul thank for the Thessalonians having recognized the gospel for what it truly is, that is God's word, and for having accepted it as such? Who did God or Paul think. Oops, gave away the answer. I'm already ahead of myself. Who? God. He he thanked God, right? What does God have to do with it? Everything. I like that answer. Let's explore that a little bit, senior. I mean, think with me for a second. Think with me. Why doesn't Paul just simply say this? I am so glad that you guys saw the gospel for what it really is. 
He doesn't say that. Or how about this? I am happy that you were smart enough to figure it out, what it really is that we shared with you. So glad you guys, you know? You're not like the other dumb people. You're smart. You got it. He doesn't say any of that. Or how about this? I'm sure pleased I was able to convince you that the message you heard from us was not just another humanly originated message, but instead a message from the creator himself, God. Paul doesn't say anything like that. Notice that. It's important. And I've, we've talked about this before, but I feel it's important that every time I see it, to keep bringing it back up because it's so important, especially for the three reasons I just talked about, our sinful pride, the worship of God, and even our evangelism, our sharing of the gospel. Paul doesn't say anything like I just said. Rather, he gives thanks to God for the fact that his Christian readers accepted the gospel for what it really is. Why? Well, because God's the responsible party behind their reception of the gospel for what it really is. One writer puts it this way, the missionaries' thanksgiving was directed to God, for they recognized that the hearer's response to their message was due to the gracious working of the Spirit of God. It was due to that. What does the Spirit of God do exactly? Beloved, the Spirit of God, as we learn from the Scriptures, opens the eyes and ears of God's elect or chosen to the truth of the gospel and grants them faith to believe. And apart from that, none would believe. None. Eric read it to you this morning. Unless the Father draws them, they will not come. Unless the Spirit of God does the work that he does in enlightening the mind of the unbeliever and granting them faith and repentance and breaking through that stubborn, rebellious heart that they might see the truth and the glory of the message that they are hearing. Unless God acts, they remain in their rebellion. That is why Paul is giving God thanks for how the Thessalonian believers responded to the gospel message they proclaimed. Let me take you, let me just keep pressing a little bit. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. You remember the Corinthian church was, there was factions in the church. They were trying to unite around different people. And instead of being unified in Christ, they were, you know, following this person or that person. And Paul takes a moment just to just dismantle that ridiculousness. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos, one of the ones that they were kind of clicking around. What is Paul? That's Paul himself. Another one, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I follow him. What are you guys talking about? What are you talking about? What are we? 
What are we? Servants, that's all, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered. So he's talking about the ministry of the word. I gave you the word. I gave you the gospel. That gospel was watered. He continued to uh, give that word. But listen, but listen, but who gets the credit? Who should you be looking to? Who should you be united around? Who should you be following and praising and worshiping? Right? But God gave the growth because only God can make something grow. So the ministry of the word, we we tell people the gospel, and someone comes along and they share it with them again, and they give it to them, and there's planting, and there's watering, and there's planting, and there's watering, and our responsibility is to continue to plant and to water and to plant and to water, cast seed, water the seed, but only God has the power and ability and sovereignty to make that thing grow, to give it life. So he says, only God. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything in the end. Just servants of God in the process by which he brings sinners unto himself, saving his chosen ones before the foundation of the world. Yeah, we're part of the process, but we cannot make someone a believer. We can't make them see the truth of the gospel we proclaim. We can't break through that hard-heartedness. We can't. But God, through his spirit, uses the word that we share, that very gospel message, and his power to break through and draw them unto himself and save them to the uttermost. So we give God thanks. Acts 16, 14. Listen, a woman, this is going to be a two-parter, I already know. A woman, we will not make it through, named Lydia. Okay, a woman named Lydia, it says. Now, this was, um, what is that? Was listening. Yeah, she was. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I'm getting there. A woman named, it's my, I can't even follow my own notes. A woman named Lydia. She's a, a Gentile woman who worshiped the God of Israel, Okay. So she worshiped the God of Israel just like the Jews. So she hadn't proselytized completely. She hadn't become part of the, uh, a Jew in the sense. In that sense, she was still a Gentile, but she did acknowledge and worship the God of Israel. She was listening to Paul preach. What well, was he preaching? The gospel message. So he's preaching the message of Jesus Christ. Now remember, many Jews, also followers of God, denied that message, rejected that message, did not accept it for what it was, the very word of God. And therefore did not embrace their savior. This woman, a Gentile woman who happens to be a worshiper of the God of Israel, hears now Paul preaching the message. She was listening, listening to Paul preach. You got to read the context. And this is what I want to show you. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Who opened her heart? Yeah. Why even put that in there? Because you need to know. The Lord is sovereign over salvation. It is the Lord who saves. Now, this woman needed to hear the gospel. So Paul, a servant of the Lord, brought the message of the Lord 
But ultimately, it was the Lord who worked in Lydia's heart, opening her heart that she might hear and respond in faith, and she did, recognizing it to be the very word of God and not just something Paul made up. If you ask a Jewish person today who denies, who rejects Jesus Christ but still practices Judaism, they will tell you that Paul, some of them anyway, was a traitor. The Apostle Paul, also a Jew, he was a traitor. And they do not believe he had the message of God because their hearts are still closed to that reality and truth. They have not been opened as Lydia's was. So, as it said in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Those were Jesus' words. And I would say you could write down 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, and look at that later. Let me talk about how understanding that and not just flying by it, this thanks that Paul gives to God for the way the Thessalonian believers received or accepted the gospel message that is, as it really is, being the very word of God and not just the word of men. How does that impact our evangelism, our sharing of that very gospel message? Well, the problem of people not embracing the gospel for what it truly is, is not an intellectual problem. It's not an intellectual problem. It's not because they're not smart enough. It's not even because you're not awesome at convincing or overcoming all of the arguments that they keep raising against that very gospel message for why they need not believe it or trust in it or come under it. It's not that. It is, it always has been, a problem of the heart. It is sin It is rebellion. They take the truth and suppress it, as we read in Romans 1. The truth comes, but they suppress it. It's called bias confirmation. It's uh, explained in that way. They have a particular bend because of sin and because sin has control over them. So they look for anything they can that says that that gospel message is not really the word of God. They look for anybody that'll say that, any reason that they say that, and they latch onto it, they hold on to it, they, they, they secure it because it helps them confirm their bias against God. So we're wrestling and we're trying to figure out, listen, you bring the gospel, you plant, you water And you pray, and then you stand back and let God do what he does, because only he can do it. Plant, water, pray, and let God do what he does. It is God that must intervene in that sinner's heart. It is God that must open eyes and unstop ears. It is God, if that is a chosen child of God, who will supernaturally overcome the hard, rebellious heart that resides inside of that person, that very heart that was suppressing the truth, God will overcome it. 
They'll stop suppressing the truth and they'll see it for what it is, that gospel message, the very word of God, and he will grant them faith to believe. So that should make us take some of the edge off of evangelism for us, thinking that I got to make this happen. You can't make it happen. What you can do, what we must do, what God has called us to do, is proclaim. Cast that seed everywhere. Okay? Get your buckets, water it. Another brother and sister will come along maybe a year later, two years later, do a little more watering of that seed, a little more planting. And then trust and pray and hope that God will do the part that he must do. Break through that ground and boom! Cause that seed to grow, okay? So that's for evangelism. What about our sinful pride? Well, this very understanding of how God works in salvation is an assault on our pride in a good one. Because we want to believe, honestly, in our arrogance, that we had something to do with our salvation. I I mean... You know, why am I saved and Bob's not? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we may not, maybe we don't work through it, but somewhere we're, we're tempted to believe that somehow there was something in me that caused me to respond, something intrinsically in me that I was born with that caused me to respond and to rightly recognize that gospel message for what it is. I'm no fool. But your neighbor, I guess, was a fool then. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We are both fools. Sin makes us stupid. Any kids in here? I didn't see any. Okay. I know some parents don't like that word. Dumb. Fools. That's what sin does to us. It makes us reject our very creator and say no to him over and over again and look for any way we can to run from him. That's what sin does. The difference between Bob and me would only be God intervened in this fool's life so that when I heard that gospel preached and proclaimed by a faithful Christian, I didn't go, whatever, Gosh, I've heard it before. So ridiculous, all these Jesus freaks. Would they just shut up? Would they just be quiet? Ah, the noise. Now, I did do that. But at some point, obviously, I'm standing here now, I stopped. Why did I stop? God intervened. God reached in and saved this wretch's life. So... What do I have to be proud about? Not a thing. Not a thing. The only reason I stand right with God is because he sought to do that in my life, to bring me to that place where I would trust in the one whom he sent to save me. That's the only reason. I pray that he'll save Bob too, but, but right now he saved me apart from me. And that causes me to worship him as I should. I, 
I don't understand. I honestly don't understand. Christians are kind of apathetic about the worship of God. I think sometimes they are confused about their salvation. I think they might be. I think they think they had something to do with it. God saved me because he, you know, you know, because I'm smart. I mean, he's, yeah, he, 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 he offered up Jesus and everything, but, you know, look at me. I got it, you know. I'm, I'm wise. You know, I figured it out. That's, that's, and I took advantage of it because I figured it out. Or maybe he sought me out because, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm not bad. He knew what I could do for him. Pretty awesome. I mean, we don't say those kind of things, but we kind of those, that's the temptation. Then when you come to worship, you go, yeah, there's God. But look at me, you know. My goodness. Just let that sit. That's what Eric said this morning. Let that sit with you. Apart from God's saving, sovereign work in your life, if you're a believer here, apart from that, if that didn't happen, you'd still be lost as lost can be, like all of those lost people that you see around you that maybe you complain about. You'd be one of them too, headed down the wrong road, enslaved to your sin, trapped in darkness. You'd be them. I'd be them, destined for hell unless God intervened. Think about that. So we give praise to God. We come together corporately to to loudly proclaim his, His greatness, the goodness of His love, our unworthiness. We deserve not a bit of it. We did nothing to merit it, can do nothing to hold on to it. He's done it all. (laughs) We were fools running away from God, and then he came and rescued us. Now, maybe you're here, and you have not yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Let me tell you kind of what happens when God begins to act in the way that he does to save a sinner. You're going to feel conviction about your sin. You're going to begin to start to recognize your sin for what it is, a great offense against your creator. You're going to realize that you are not squeaky clean or innocent or even good. You're going to realize that you are guilty Guilty to the core before your creator. You have sinned against him in omission or commission, meaning you have done the very things he has said not to do, and you have not done the things that he commands of you. And not once, not twice, but hundreds of times. You stand guilty before God, and you will begin to understand that and know that and believe it to be true, and that will terrify you. Because the gospel says all who stand guilty before God will be condemned by God in the last day. 
They will be separated from their creator forever in a place called hell. You will no longer go, whatever. I've heard this before, but you will begin to tremble in your heart. But you will not stay trembling because you will also hear the word of God that says God sent his son, his only son, the divine one, Lord of lords and king of kings. He sent him to this earth to go to a cross and take upon himself the guilt, the sin of all who would ever believe. And you no longer toss that to the side, but in your heart you begin to believe that is true. It is true. You don't even know why you believe it. Huh? You don't even... I mean, we're talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago. I'll tell you why you believe it. It is the Spirit of God at work. That's the only thing to explain it. It's broken past all of your nonsense, all of your foolish excuses, all of the rebellion that you've heaped up against God. It's broken it. You feel it. You know it. And then, knowing your guilt before God, knowing the truth concerning the Savior, that he can erase it, that he alone can make you right with God, you hear that if you will but turn from your foolish life, your rebellious life, and turn unto this Lord, this one, calling out to him to save you, putting your life in his arms, trusting in him, committing your life to him, you know, you hear that, and you know it's true, and so you do it. You, in your heart of hearts, call out to God. You call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess that you are a sinner, not deserving of the salvation, never deserving of it, but you are so grateful for it. And you ask that one, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save you. And he does. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved and you believe it because that's what the word, the word of God says. I had no intentions of, I had intentions of getting much farther, but I can't think of anything more important. I can't think of anything more important for you Christian to be reminded again of the great salvation that you have, that God did it all, every bit of it, that your and my sinful pride might be beaten down, get down there. Because it just, you know what I'm saying? It keeps rising up, trying to make me think I'm something when I know, when I look at the word, I am nothing apart from God. Oh, with God, I am something because he makes me something. But apart from him, nothing worthy of his condemnation. I never would have followed after him if it weren't for him coming after me. 
drawing me to himself. You think of the evangelism, you think, man, it takes a load off. My part is to share, to proclaim in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. That's my part. Doesn't that take a load off? Just share. Even share, not so good. You know, I heard people say, I got to get, just share. God will make you better at it as you go. He does that. Because you'll be like, I didn't even know what to say. I said, I love Jesus. That was lame. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. Because maybe the person heard about Jesus before, and here's another person showing up in their life, telling them they love Jesus. Man. And then God takes all that stuff, and he begins to do his work. You'll get better at it. But just share. That's your load. That's your part. That should take a load off, guys. Just share. Tell them about your Lord. Tell them what he has done for you. Tell them what you're hoping in. I saw Hawaii. You know, they sent out that. How did you hear about that? I was telling a brother right here. They sent out that notice, their local government there to all their folks. I don't remember exactly what it had said, but basically it was one of those public service notices. The missile's coming. Take shelter. I'm not kidding. It was an accident. For 10 minutes, for 10 minutes, they did not know it was an accident. They said the traffic on the freeways, they don't really have a lot of roads there, but it just went crazy. People were panicking. They've already been told because, you know, the whole situation with North Korea and the threats that they have made, they've already been told if North Korea launches a nuclear missile, they have 15 minutes until it hits. So these people thought, it's 15 minutes. There were people calling their loved ones saying, this is it. Right? Okay. And I can only think of the trauma that those people experienced who did not know the Lord. For them, it is it. It's it. This is as good as it gets for them. People need to hear about the Lord, folks. That's what I thought when I heard that story. How many people just crushed in a moment? I hope that God will use that and the preaching of the gospel to cause them, and he can, to cause them to say, whoa, I just thought life was over. Maybe I should consider what happens next. That's right, my buddy keeps talking to me about Jesus. I think I'll listen again. You see, people need to hear. We need to worship and it, and we need to worship rightly the way God deserves to be worshipped. My goodness. He is he's so worthy. That's all we're going to do in eternity. You know, right? I mean, not all we're going to do, but there's lots of stuff we're going to do. But no one's going to be like looking at each other, high-fiving, man, I knew you'd get here. I knew it. You're always a good one. Smart, too. No, like that's why I told you, read 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. Go home, read it. No, we're going to be like, I can't, I can't believe I'm here. Can you believe it? Can you, I mean, I can believe it. I've been hoping for it for the last 40, 50 years. I don't know when I'm going to die. I've been hoping for it for a long time. I'm imagining myself now. I've been hoping for it. I've been talking about it, everything. I can't, I can't, can you believe it? Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Right? That's all. We're just going to bow down. We're going to praise him. We're going to worship him. 
in a way that we haven't been able to yet because we still have these messed up bodies getting in the way of things. I can't wait. And if you're an unbeliever here, man, you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you, don't shut that out. Okay? Don't shut that out. Listen. Hear. Hear that conviction. Hear what it's saying. This is the truth. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. Flee to Him now and be saved. Do it now. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. Yes, we do. It is your word. That very word we just read in Thessalonians, it's your word. Every time we open this book, all 66 books collected together, they are your words. Father, may we honor it as it should be honored. And may we recognize the gospel, which is the very word of God, a message from you for the world. May we recognize it for what it is and therefore value it appropriately. It is the greatest message that the world could hear and that we could share. My goodness, we share all kinds of junk on Facebook. And stuff that's not junk, Father, just stuff. We share. We are sharing people. And that's good. We should share. But what could be greater to share? What could be more important? There is nothing more important, Father. Help us to, to recognize that, to see that. Be bold, proclaim. Plant seeds, water, and look to you to do the work of salvation in our friends' lives, our neighbors' lives, co-workers' lives, our families' lives. Trusting in you, your wisdom, your timing, it's your work. May we be faithful to do our part, just simply sharing the word of God, the gospel of God. In Jesus' name, our Savior's name, we pray this morning. Amen.